Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hello again, plant people. Thank you for joining me again here on the patio slash Plow and Hose studio. This week has been kind of draining for me. It's been a little weird, a little crazy at work. And also my kids are one week into back to school and we are kind of struggling through getting a new routine down. But we're also in the middle of a global pandemic and on top of all of it, It's also late August in Taylor, Texas, and it is so hot. (laughs) I really do like to think that I'm flexible and adaptable and a kind of go-with-the-flow kind of gal, but I really miss my summer routine. As we edge into fall, into a new season, the summer sun rises just a little bit later every day, and there isn't really quite as much daylight, plus school's starting back, and the kids need a whole lot of prompting to get ready so they aren't late. I just find it really annoying that I don't get nearly as much time for one of my all-time favorite things, and that's summer mornings in my backyard. I love getting out early and visiting my plants and just enjoying the quiet morning as the sun creeps up, and I think it's just so great. I totally love it. I get my chores done. I check on my plants. I get to see what's going on seeing what's blooming, seeing what's fruiting, all before everybody else gets up. And now I just feel rushed to get things done. I barely have time to water all the patio plants and take care of the animals and stuff before I've got to make sure that my indoor animals, my kids, are getting ready for school. Anyway, this week was kind of rush, uh, of rough, and I was, I've been just like mentally exhausted, and that made me feel physically exhausted, and by Friday afternoon, I was just worn out. I was so glad to get home. And I decided I wasn't going to do anything that evening. I did do a quick walk around the yard. I mean, I had to check on the okra and I picked a few pods so they wouldn't get gigantic and inedible. But once I did that, I brought them inside and then I decided no chores and that I was just going to relax on the patio. And that's all I did. And it was great. I made a drink, I ate some chips and salsa on the patio, and I put on the radio, 
And it was just so nice to just sit and watch all the little things going on in my backyard. Saw lots of dragonflies zipping around. I watched three hummingbirds kind of flip back and forth. And they were like fighting over the Turks caps. Um, all those little red flowers. I also watched one monarch butterfly visiting my Greg's Miss Flower. It landed on one flower and stayed there for what seems like kind of an unusual amount of time. It wasn't really moving that much. It was, you know, sometimes they'll sit and they'll flap their wings a little bit. It was just like holding still and just perched there and taking a break too. Right when I noticed this monarch, I noticed how much I was enjoying the evening and how relaxed I was. I even kind of sort of enjoyed watching the wasp on my patio roof or ceiling. Um, I enjoyed watching them rebuild their nest that I just knocked down a few days ago. And I actually got a little reflective and I started thinking about how good it was just to slow down and relax and how I really had to do this more often because evenings in my backyard offer a totally different experience than the mornings. Sometimes it's just kind of good to sit back and watch nature and appreciate all the little things around me. And then I thought, I wonder if this is what it's like to watch sports. Back in February, when we had that awful freeze, I really thought my Texas sagebush had died. It had been this big, beautiful bush that finally got to be a really nice size and a nice shape. But after the freeze, it was really nothing but dead sticks and twigs. But I left it alone, and I didn't try to dig it up, and luckily it's coming back. Right now, it's about the, um, a third of the size that it had been, but I noticed today that it started to put on blossoms. Since my Texas sage bush had been a large plant and it was well established, when it bloomed, it was always just completely covered in these quarter-sized orchid purple flowers. And I just love that color. I actually wear that color a lot myself. Um, and I'm not kidding that when I tell you that I can dress myself head to toe in that color if I wanted to. Because I even have Texas purple sage colored jeans. I think it's just a great color. I love it. It makes me happy. Honestly, I'm not really sure how it looks on me. But... On the plant, it is just so pretty when it blooms. And they have these silvery, green-gray foliage. The leaves on this bush are just so cute and little and tiny. And they're kind of soft. They have that texture like it's been um, sprayed with flocking. It's just barely fuzzy. And it feels and looks matte. And it's not glossy at all. It's, it's really cool. Texas sage is used a lot in commercial landscaping. In my opinion, it's often used wrong. It seems like whoever orders and plants these Texas sage bushes just did not even bother reading the plant tag because 
when Texas Sage is established and happy, it can get gigantic. It gets really huge, like eight feet wide and eight feet tall. Just one plant, eight feet wide, eight feet tall. And I've noticed a lot of times when new landscaping goes in, People just totally disregard the spacing information and they plant them like two feet apart. And I have a feeling that they do this because um, they will fill in quickly and they do form a nice looking hedge in, you know, like a year. But once they get established, they get massive and they get wildly out of control and that's when they gotta get pruned and you know what folks do they buzz them down with their hedge trimmers just all over on every side they flatten every side and they turn this beautiful natural bush into this ugly rectangle and if they aren't cut back at the right time there's gonna be ugly naked gaps in the bushes and I have no idea why people would want to do this because it's just so unattractive and you know the, the way of pruning a lot of times it's just easier for a maintenance crew to um, maintain and I don't know maybe maybe some people actually just like that look I'm I don't. Uh, I don't think it looks nice at all. Um, Texas sage really isn't the kind of plant to try to turn into a topiary or a hedge. It really doesn't have a dense enough leaf pattern to ever look full and attractive after it's been um, pruned. You know, if you decide to plant Texas sage and you really want it to look nice with minimal care, just please re read the plant tag and follow the spacing instructions. Don't try to cram them all together. It's, it's not, not going to look good. It's not going to look right. There is a compact variety um, that you can find, but it still gets to be five feet tall, five feet wide. So still, you know, quite a big plant. I like Texas sage because it is so pretty when you leave it alone and let it grow the way it wants to grow. And it is a really great plant for our part of Central Texas. They are a hardy Texas native plant that can tolerate our crazy intense summers. And they do grow well in our black clay soil that we have here in Taylor. Once Texas sage gets established, they really don't have any disease or insect problems unless they're overcrowded. Um, overcrowded situations um, can cause some problems um, like diseases like cotton root rot. Cotton root rot usually isn't a problem unless you have had issues with it before. Red tip photemia is really susceptible to cotton root rot. And once you get it, it can uh, stay in your soil. So if you've had issues with it before, 
just do some research on the internet and find a replacement plant that isn't quite as susceptible to it. I've noticed Texas sage blooming like crazy all over town and you might have heard folks say, oh, the sage is blooming, it must be going to rain. And a lot of the times the sage is right and it blooms and then it rains. And I've been observing my sage bush and bushes around town Oh, I don't know, the last few years, and just making very unscientific mental notes about how accurate the sage has been. And I'd say more often than not, it's going to rain after they bloom. So I was really kind of curious about this and did a little research into it. And most things that I read confirmed that Texas sage does tend to really put out the flowers when conditions are op optimal for rain. But it really doesn't necessarily mean that we will actually get some rain. What it really reflects is that Texas sage is very sensitive to changes in barometric pressure and humidity. So when conditions are just right for rain, the sage wants to bloom. And I just think that's super cool. And I get a little excited and thinking, oh, it's gonna rain because the sage is blooming. So, you know, here in Central Texas, we almost always need the rain in August. And, you know, plus the rains, um, the plants really love rainwater. To me, the only downside to the change in barometric pressure is that I tend to get a bad headache when the pressure changes and that sucks because it makes me feel old because I catch myself, oh my god, I'm getting a headache, it must be going to rain. And I know, I know, I am kind of old, but still, come on. Speaking of old, if you have any plants in your vegetable garden that are struggling or unproductive, just go ahead and give yourself permission to pull them out. Out with the old and in with the new because now that we are here in late August, we are in a whole brand new planting window. And that's really exciting because there are just so many things that we can plant right now. We can plant lots and lots of seeds, like some of our summer favorites, like beans, cucumbers, and summer squash. But we can also start planting cool season seeds again. So now through the end of September, we can plant beets, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, carrots, cauliflower, Swiss chard, collard greens, kale, kohlrabi, mustard greens, onions, radishes, and turnips. And if you have some seed potatoes, you can plant those right now too. If you're interested in planting fall potatoes, please go over to wherever you get your podcasts and download the August 5th podcast. It's episode number 30, and I talk all about fall potatoes. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I sure hope you will go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and 
music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you're out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Host Facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends or head over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to get your shows and subscribe to the Plow and Host podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, or rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and go ahead, leave a review. It's just super quick. Just click on the stars, type up a sentence about what you like about the show, and submit it. It's really super easy. This is going to help others find the show, and downloading the Plow and Hose episodes helps me um, gather show statistics. All right. Now that it's on this Labor Day, we have an opportunity to transplant artichoke crowns. And it's, I don't know, I think they're really cool. There are really only two times of the year when we can plant artichokes here in Central Texas. And, I mean, you are more than welcome to plant artichokes any time of the year. But if you want to be successful and make it easier for them to get established, there are only two ideal planting windows. The first one is January through the end of February, and then the second one is Labor Day through Halloween. Artichokes are members of the thistle family and native to the Mediterranean parts of the world. Artichokes actually do quite well in our part of Texas. I mean, we do share the same general latitude as parts of the Mediterranean, so it makes sense that they would do well here. But artichokes really want well-draining soil, so if you have the heavy black clay like we do in Taylor, or if you live on the other side of Interstate 35 and you have that hard caliche soil, you'll want to plant artichoke crowns in really well-draining soil that is rich in compost because they love fertile soil. So add lots of compost if you're planting artichokes this fall. Artichokes do tend to get quite large, so give them plenty of space. Since they get to be pretty big in the vegetable garden, they get to be three feet tall by like three feet wide, and pick a sunny spot in your garden for your artichokes. They need bright sun to grow and to develop their flower heads. So don't put them in a shady location. Save that spot for something that can tolerate the shade. Since we eat the underdeveloped artichoke flower heads, these plants need a strong, healthy root system in order to support those top-heavy blossoms that we are looking for. Green Globe is a variety that does well in Central Texas, but there are also really cool purple varieties that um, are pretty neat. But Green Globe is the standard around here. This time of year, you're going to need to get artichoke crowns to plant, not seeds. Crowns are just root divisions. Artichokes are perennial plants that come back uh, year after year, 
and you can cut them back and then divide the roots in order to make new plants. You can start artichokes from seeds, but this is the wrong time of year to try to do that. Um, they don't really have time to sprout and develop a healthy root system before it gets too cold. So look for root divisions or potted transplants now. Artichokes take a little while to get established and grow, but they are one of the few plants that performs really well in our summer heat. And since they are perennials, they're going to die back, but they return for several years. Once your artichoke plants get to be about three years old, you should really start thinking about thinning your plants. If they get too crowded, they won't produce as many flower heads. Even though they can tolerate our long hot summers, they aren't drought resistant and like most crops, artichokes need plenty of water for a good harvest and you'll want to fertilize with an organic liquid product every two weeks, especially now since it's hot and we really want to help get them established. Artichokes usually produce like seven to 10 buds per plant. Now, if you aren't really into eating artichokes, they are still a really cool plant to grow. They have silvery, spiky, gray green fronds, and those unusual thistle looking flowers are bright purple. After you harvest all the buds, you can cut the entire plant back down to the ground, but they're gonna go dormant um, in the worst of the late summer heat next year. But if you keep them watered well, they will start to come back in the fall and put on new growth. This year, if we plant them in the fall, we're just trying to get them established. Also, instead of cutting the buds to eat, you can just let them go ahead and bloom. You can cut the blossoms and use them in a flower arrangement, or you can just leave them in the garden. They're really, really very striking. And when the flowers are done, um, they'll set seed, and they will dry out and create these poofy filaments around the seed around the seeds. They look a whole lot like dandelion seed heads. Each artichoke seed is surrounded by silvery um, feathery poofs. I don't know what the actual word is for the poof, but each seed poof is about the size of a ping pong ball and they just float so easily through the air. They're really cool. I love dandelions, and I love regular thistles too, so these cool artichoke flowers are just up my alley. I really like them. And bees also love artichoke flowers too, so if you're wanting to have plants that help the bees, then consider adding an artichoke plant or two to your garden, or, or your flower bed if you want. If you like weird and unusual looking plants with striking foliage and unusual flowers, check out artichokes. And artichokes really don't have very many pest issues to worry about. 
and they're super easy to plant and grow. If you happen to spend any time on Facebook and belong to any of the Central Texas gardening or plant groups, then you've probably noticed a lot of plant ID requests. I have a couple of groups that I like because um, the people on there are just pleasant and most of them are really helpful and very generous with their plant knowledge. People really like to post pictures of their plants, especially ones growing where they aren't supposed to be. And people will join a plant group just to ask what their plant is. And it never fails. About every two, three, four weeks, someone posts a picture of a plant and wants to know what it is. And it's always the same plant. It's always, always a young mulberry sapling. There are four types of mulberries that are found across Texas. But here in Central Texas, red mulberry is the most common species. These seedlings that pop up all over the place and everywhere, we don't want them. They're actually kind of tricky to identify because they can, um, they have, they can have three different shaped leaves. And that's kind of unusual for um, a plant. Mature red mulberry trees have a simple heart-shaped leaf um, that has like a round bottom. And to me, they kind of look like a poorly drawn valentine with no point at the end. Anyway, um, some red mulberries can have like a mitten-shaped leaf. And some of them are much more defined. And they, they, they have like lobed sections, like multiple mitten shapes. I guess that would be thumbs. I don't know. It can be really confusing to know what you have growing in the middle of your flower bed. Once the, once the tree grows up a little bit, the leaves can get really um, large, anywhere from like three to nine inches long, and they turn yellow in the fall. Red mulberries, of course, produce fruits, and they end up, when they're fully mature, they end up looking like elongated blackberries. Like someone took a blackberry and stretched it out. But the fruits are only about an inch long. And they start out red and turn purple as they ripen. The berries are sweet and kind of juicy. And they're pretty tasty. And the birds and the squirrels really like them too. And they are responsible for all those mulberry seedlings that pop up under utility cables and along the fence lines and under trees. Red mulberries, the Morris rubra variety, are considered native trees in the United States. But Texas, of course, has to have their own mulberry tree and they are a completely different species. Those Texas mulberries are Morris microphylla, 
Texas mulberries have much, much smaller leaves, and they only grow in West Texas and parts of Mexico. But no matter what kind of mulberry tree you encounter, all mulberry trees have really thin skin, and if you cut into a mulberry tree, you're able to peel off the bark in strips. And this is really cool because mulberry bark was used in Southeast Asia by Buddhist monks to make a really early form of paper. And if you are into stationery and specialty papers, you can still find people that make handmade mulberry bark paper. And it's really, really cool because mulberry bark paper just uses the bark. And if you don't take all the bark off of the, off the tree, say if you just use one side of the tree and you strip the bark off of it and leave the other side um, unmarred, that bark will grow back and you can continuously harvest the mulberry bark. I don't know, I think that's um, really cool because you don't have to cut down the tree and it, it makes like a really interesting type of paper. Also, um, I want to talk about white mulberry trees. White mulberry trees are found all across the United States, like in all over the continental U.S., these white mulberries were introduced to the United States during colonial times, so even before they became the United States, and they were brought over from Asia. And there was this guy, General Oglethorpe, and he is personally responsible for planting at least 500 mulberry trees in an effort to start up a silk industry in Georgia. Now, silkworms only eat the leaves from mulberry uh, white mulberry trees and that's why he planned so many of them and despite all of his efforts and all of his influence this silk industry experiment totally failed and I'm not exactly sure what happened but obviously the silkworms didn't do their thing because Georgia is known for peanuts and peaches and not silk nevertheless those original white mulberry trees thrived and they spread all over the United States and they're here in Texas too. And now, unfortunately, they are considered invasive because white mulberry trees will grow and displace native red mulberry trees red and white mulberries, they can cross-pollinate and the plants that are produced aren't nearly as hardy as either parent of the parent plants. And both the hybrid and the white mulberries can transmit a root disease that is actually harmful to red mulberries. Now, I really like red mulberry trees and they're pretty cool. They can tolerate a bit of shade. They can be grown as understory trees, but if 
you let them grow um, in full sun, they will actually grow tall enough and become a quite nice shade tree. And on top of it, you get fruit. Mulberries actually can be kind of hard to pick, especially on a large tree, but they really are quite tasty. And if you want to put a little effort into it, you can harvest um, a lot of them. All you got to do is get kind of old school and just spread a tarp or like an old sheet under the tree and then start shaking the branches and all the ripe berries will just fall right off and land on top of your tarp. Once you harvest mulberries, you can eat them raw right off the tree or you can uh, use them as a substitute for most berry recipes. Now, mulberries aren't quite as sweet as like blueberries or strawberries, but they still are really good in a cobbler. And if you have enough of them, you can make mulberry wine. You won't find fresh mulberries for sale at the grocery store, and that's because they are really fragile fruits and once they're harvested you've got to put them up you either have to put them in the refrigerator and they're only going to last a few days fresh you can wash them and put them in the freezer or you could dry them like in a dehydrator and dried mulberries taste a whole lot like raisins so if you want an alternative to raisin you can uh, dry your own mulberries and then use them as a nice substitute. If you are wanting to add a mulberry tree um, to your yard this fall and you want to plant one, um, be sure to look for um, some other interesting varieties if you're not really into um, the native red mulberry because there are some pretty cool ones out there like Everbearing or Black Beauty. There's Persian and Pakistan. Pakistan mulberries are super cool looking. Their fruits are much larger than our native red mulberries. The red mulberries only get to be at an inch long at most, but these Pakistan mulberries are like crazy long. They're like five times as long and they can grow up to five inches long. And they look so cool. Another really neat thing about the Pakistan mulberry is they don't get nearly as tall as red mulberries. Native red mulberries trees can grow to seven feet tall, but the Pakistan mulberry will only get to be about 30 feet tall, maybe 40, depending on the growing conditions. But if you don't want to buy a tree and you happen to have some mulberry seedlings already in your yard, you know, just go try to transplant it. Just be careful and dig it up gently and relocate it to a better spot in your yard. Mulberries have shallow roots, but they spread quite wide. And if one of these little seedlings pops up too close to your house, not a good thing because you could risk getting some foundation issues as the tree grows. So 
if you have one that pops up in a flower bed next to your house, you probably should just go ahead and remove it. And, you know, you just clip it off, pull it up, put it in your compost pile. Or if you have animals, mulberry leaves and stems are actually a good source of food for goats, sheep, rabbits, and even pigs. Um, they all enjoy the mulberry leaves and they're free. So that's cool. Mulberry is a really good source of protein for these animals. And of course, they like the berries too. And if you don't have any of those animals, but you have chickens, the chickens will eat the leaves too. And just like other birds, they really like the berries. And even though they aren't harmful to um, birds at all, red mulberries have a laxative effect on birds. And they will splat runny purple poop all over everything. So if you have one in your yard and you park under a mulberry tree, just expect a whole lot of purple droppings on your car. And trust me, because when I got my first car when I was 18, it was a Chevrolet Beretta. 88 Chevrolet Beretta. They don't even make those anymore. Um, I was living at home and my parking spot was under the mulberry tree that was um, kind of over our driveway. And that's where I had to park. And for most of the year, it was great because I had a nice shady spot. But once those um, mulberries started to put on fruit, 